This is a Crow's Nest podcast. About a year ago, I had the absolutely incredible opportunity to meet George Behe at the Titanic convention in uh, Tennessee. I asked him if he would come on my show, and he politely declined, saying that he doesn't really like to do interviews these days, but I could send him some questions via email. I don't really prepare for interviews. (laughs) I've said that a lot during the course of my podcast, and uh, that also holds true here. So what I did instead was send him just one question. So for this episode, what I'm going to do is read you our email correspondences exactly as they were, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, George. I'm so sorry for the delay. As the Fresh Prince once said, my life got flip-turned upside down, and I lost the ball on the show for a while. But good news I used that time to think about questions. I realized I don't have a bunch of small questions, but I guess one sort of bigger one. We're 110 years away from the sinking of the Titanic. 111 now. All of the survivors are gone, and their descendants will become further and further away as time passes. And even the more recent things, like the 85 Discovery and the 98 Big Peace Retrieval, have members leaving us. At the same time, a new wave of enthusiasts are entering the community of all ages and backgrounds. What, in your opinion, should these newer fans and learners know? And what, as we get further away, is it crucial to make sure we not forget? Sorry if that's too vague, but if it isn't, I would love to read your answer on my show. I hope you're warm and well. Best, Alexia. November 19th, 2022. Hi, Alexia. Thanks for your email and for giving me the opportunity to express my thoughts on one particular subject connected with modern-day Titanic research. I hope the following paragraphs will be useful to you and your show. Sincerely, George. I hope new Titanic buffs will make a point of remembering the fact that the Titanic was just an inanimate object and that, by definition, a tragedy cannot happen to an inanimate object. Instead, The Titanic merely served as the location at which a human tragedy was enacted. Many modern-day Titanic buffs seem to show little interest in the Titanic's passengers and crewmen, and instead focus their attention on things like the ship's decorations, the color of her floor tiles, the decorative patterns on her dishes, the exact locations of her ventilation, etc. In effect, This interest in the ship's internal decor strikes me as being similar to our seeing a bus plunge off a bridge with many fatalities, only to have the general public fixate on the color of the bus's seats and whether or not the bus had chromed trim on its windows. Is this latter type of information truly important in the overall scheme of things? Hardly. The fact that nowadays most people seem to focus on the Titanic's physical appearance can be seen whenever a reader visits the various Facebook groups that are devoted to the Titanic. Whenever a member posts a common photo of the Titanic herself, that photo usually receives several dozen likes from other members. On the other hand, a researcher posting newly discovered passenger or crew information often receives only half a dozen likes, usually from other serious researchers. In short, Nowadays, many Titanic buffs find it much easier to simply glance at a photograph instead of taking the time and trouble to actually read several paragraphs about the ship's passengers and crewmen. Indeed, 
This distaste for actual reading often becomes evident after a knowledgeable Titanic researcher correctly answers someone's question in a Facebook Titanic group. Because afterwards, two dozen poorly informed members don't bother to read the correct answer and instead insist on posting their own incorrect answers to the same question. Instead of taking the opportunity to learn from the correct information that has just been presented to them, these people somehow feel impelled to submit their own incorrect answers just as if they actually knew what they were talking about. Their documentation often makes use of the stock phrase, I read it somewhere. The Titanic was definitely a beautiful ship, but in the end, she was just an inanimate object, a mindless thing with no consciousness upon which a tragic human drama was played out. With that being the case, I submit the following question to the present audience. Which subject is more important to the study of history? The thoughts and actions of people who actually participated in a historical event or the color of the various pieces of furniture that served as a backdrop in the place where that historical event occurred. Does it really matter whether a room had a blue carpet or a red carpet? Isn't it more important for historians to determine what a participant thought, said, and did while they were standing on that red or blue carpet? Even though studying the Titanic's beautiful amenities definitely has its place, these amenities are still second-tier subjects and are merely bits of historical trivia that had zero effect on the human drama that was played out on board the sinking Titanic. In the end, the Titanic herself was just a mechanical conveyance designed to transport passengers from point A to point B. In other words, she was, in effect, just a glorified seagoing bus. More importantly to Titanic historians, however, the vessel served as a stage upon which her actors, her passengers and crewmen, played out what, for most of them, would be their final hours of life. In conclusion, let's review a horrifying letter that survivor William Mellers wrote to a friend several weeks after the Titanic disaster. While reading this letter, let's pay special attention to whether or not the color of Titanic's carpets played any meaningful role in Mellers' experiences during the maiden voyage. Dear Dorothy, I was so pleased to receive your letter and to find you had not forgotten me. I had intended writing to you before, but I was ashamed of my writing. You see, I had no feeling yet from my knuckles to the tips of my fingers, owing to having been frozen in the water, and so having heard from you, I have got to write. I can assure you that it felt rather keenly when you left me on Thursday evening without saying goodbye. Well, I'm glad to say I'm getting along fairly well, considering the experience I had on the Titanic. I did not take any notice of the slight shock caused by the collision. I was asleep at the time it happened, and I just turned over and went to sleep again. About ten minutes later, the young chap who shared my cabin with me came and began to yell out that the ship had struck an iceberg and he thought we were going down. I really thought he was joking and told him so, but was soon convinced by the fact by hearing people running about and shouting on the deck and the engines being stopped. I soon dressed and got up on deck to find crowds up there putting on life belts, and I had about 15 minutes hard work tying the women's belts on. It was an awful sight to see the men's faces when the last boat went off. At this time, it was almost impossible to walk on the deck without you caught hold of something, owing to the ship heeling right over. We were trying to fix up the collapsible boat when she gave the first signs of going under. There seemed to be a tremble run through the whole of the ship, and the next thing we heard were loud reports inside which I think were the watertight doors giving way. And before you could say Jack Robinson, there seemed to be mountains of water rushing through the doors, and I was swept away from where I was right against the collapsible boat, and I simply clung on for all I was worth. 
While else this was going on, she was going underwater, and it seemed as if thousands of men were dragging me under with her. When suddenly her, the forward, nose on which I was, seemed to suddenly rise from underneath the water, and I and a few more that were close by cut the ropes that held the boat to the falls. Davids. There was suddenly an explosion, and I found myself whizzing through the air at an awful pace, having been blown away by the explosion. When I came to my senses a few minutes after, I looked round and suddenly saw the ship part in the middle, with the stern standing several hundred feet out of the water. At this time I was trying to swim away from her, but could not get more than a few yards away, and I had as much as I could do to hold myself up from being dragged down with her. But the suction was not so great as I imagined it would be. After she had gone, the sight that met one's eyes was terrible. There were great masses of wreckage with hundreds of human beings fighting amongst hundreds of dead bodies for their lives. I'd been swimming for about five minutes when a woman caught hold of my coat collar and begged me to save her life. Well, Dorothy, I felt that I was doomed, and the least I could do was try to keep both of us afloat. I had been holding her up for about, as far as I could tell, for about twenty minutes when I noticed my hands began to become as swollen as if I had a pair of miniature boxing gloves on, and I began to lose my grip of the woman who was almost dead. And she must have noticed the fact herself, for she began to struggle like a madman, and clutched me round the throat with the strength of a man. It was then I noticed she had no life belt on, and I found she was dragging me under the water with her. I had the most awful fight for life underwater, as I shall never forget, but eventually I broke away from her and rose at once to the surface. I was so done up with the want of breath that I thought my lungs were affected through holding my breath so long, but it did not take so long as it does to tell it. I had not been swimming for long when I was caught hold of by the leg and found a seaman was holding on to me. I tried to kick him off, but found my legs were becoming numbed, and he held on to me like a leech. I struck at him, but he only laughed and began to try to pull me underwater. I managed to get hold of him by the hair of his head and push his head under the water. He became almost insensible, and I got my feet clear of his hands, and when he came to the surface again, he began to try and swim alongside of me, but I managed to keep clear of him. I suddenly heard a most awful sound like a rattle, and he threw up his arms, and I knew he was dead. I shall never forget it, for I am sure he went mad. I had been swimming for about one hour altogether when I saw an object a little way off, which turned out to be a collapsible boat with about twenty or thirty people clinging to it. I managed after a hard struggle to get on this, and found that the sides were broken away and that she was well underwater. After a time, I saw some of the people gradually dropping down dead one at a time, and we had to push their bodies off to keep the raft afloat. Every now and again, we were all thrown into the water, owing to the boat capsizing, and when we climbed back, I noticed there were less climbed on. We suddenly noticed lights on the horizon, which turned out to be the Carpathia, and suddenly she turned round and went out of sight, and we thought she had picked the other boats up and missed us. There were then several of our own boats in the distance, and we were calling them for about two hours, and they answered us back by flashing a green light and blowing whistles, but would not put back to save us. There was there only ten or twelve of us left on the raft alive, and there were five or six laying dead on the bottom. By this time I had become exhausted and had to let a man I had been holding up fall to the bottom of the raft, but he was saved. Eventually we were picked up and taken to the Carpathia. Having been in the water for about six hours, 
and only about 10 or 12 saved from 30 to 40 people hanging on the raft. I've since been rather bad through having been frozen from the hips downwards and my hands were the same. So, Dorothy, I have told you in a nutshell my experience of the Titanic. I hope you will forgive this writing, as I am almost asleep on the pen. Well, I can scarcely hold it. The doctor thinks I shall get the feeling back to my hands, etc., as time goes on. Will you kindly thank Miss Davy for her letter and tell her I will write as soon as I can? I'm awfully busy writing letters now. Well, Dorothy, you are the first to hear my story in England. I hope you are getting along well and also given up whistling. I must now close hoping to hear from you by return of mail. With kind regards, I remain yours sincerely, William J. Mellers. Compared to the horrific experiences described in Mr. Meller's letters, in my opinion, the modern-day interest in the color of Titanic's carpets and other decor seems pretty trivial. Speaking for myself, I hope the new generation of Titanic researchers will bear this fact in mind and will choose to study truly meaningful subjects that will shed new light on the Titanic disaster and on the people who sailed on the great ship's maiden voyage. November 20th, 2022. George, I have so far told three people how amazing your response is in the hopes that by the time I got this email, I would have better words. I do not. Thank you. When I started this podcast, I did it with the intention of chasing the stories of people involved. Survivors, victims, and the ones involved in their preservation. I don't have a mind for figures and dates, but I have a heart for real stories, and the people that breathe life into the moments and time we look back on. Your response manages to put that together in a strong and eloquent way. I cannot wait to read it on the show. It hits the central issue that I'm attempting to cover, which is that there were people at the heart of it all. Just to be 100% sure, what's the phonetic pronunciation of your last name? I want to have everything right when I read this. Thank you so much for your honest insight. It's everything I was hoping for, and then some. I'd never seen that letter before. I hope to see you again in the future someday to thank you properly. All the best, and many more thanks. Alexia. November 22nd, 2022. I know that this is a really short episode, and, um, excuse me, I, um, I don't normally put out much longer things, but I think personally that this episode in the content of the response I got from George is extremely eloquent and says so much more than I could have said in any sort of 45 minute interview. So I am going to simply leave this here as it is. And um, for those of you that are not familiar, please check out George Behe's work. He's written a ton of books. He was involved by writing the introduction of Honesty of Glass, which is the current Titanic book club book pick. I've also had the authors on my show. It's amazingly, amazingly written book. Thank you all again for tuning in to the show. I appreciate every single one of you. And I encourage you, if you're interested in coming on the show, even if you don't feel that you're qualified to get in touch and just ask, I'm probably way more interested than you think I am. So don't hesitate, reach out and I'll see you the next time. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia.
Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!